Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Operators, where we learn from the people building the companies of tomorrow. You can find us online at operators.co. The Operators features entrepreneurs and executives from companies like Google, Facebook, Slack, and WeWork, sharing insights on how to break into a new field, how to build a successful career, and how to hire and manage talent beyond your own expertise. Tune in to hear from the people doing the real day-to-day -day work, the people who make it all happen, the people who know what it really takes, the operators. Today, we're talking about recruiting. Our guests are bringing experience from helping build teams at the likes of Uber, Lyft, Google, Coupa, Fastly, and Gainsight. Before we meet our guests, though, today's episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic's Lion's Mane Co Mushroom Coffee has all of coffee's focusing bark with none of the jittery bite. Lion's Mane provides productivity, focus, and creativity, all while being a healthy alternative to that daily cup of coffee. Go to bit.ly.com slash four sigmatic operators for a special offer just for you. And now let's jump in. I'm your host, Neil Devani, and we're coming to you today from Digital Garage here in downtown San Francisco. Joining me is Farah Shargi Dalatabadi, a senior technical recruiter at Uber with experience from Lyft and Google as well. Also joining us is Kelly Kennard, VP of Talent at Battery Ventures, and she has worked with the likes of WAG, Coupa, Fastly, and Gainsight. Farah and Kelly, thank you for joining us. Just to start, if you can share with our listeners your path and how you found yourself to where you are today, that would be great. Thank you. Do you want to start? Sure. <laughs> um, Farah and I were just talking earlier that recruiting is not a career that anyone thinks they uh, aspire to when they're in high school or college. It's an odd career that people tend to fall into. And I fell into it by a career counselor actually recommending it to me when I was feeling very lost uh, earlier in my career and not knowing what I wanted to do next. And I started my career doing contingency recruiting, uh, recruiting technical, uh, technical folks like software engineers and product managers, and then decided I wanted to go into retained search. So I worked for a firm called SPMB and then another one called Riviera Partners and then after that went to Oracle where I worked for the president who ran all of technology Thomas Curian who's now the CEO of uh, Google Cloud and then um, decided I wanted to go into the venture and private equity world in a talent partner role and joined Battery Ventures. So kind of similar, I was uh, a little lost in my career. I'd done a couple of things, but in terms of how I got into recruiting specifically, I had been laid off from a job where um, I didn't really know what to do. So a girlfriend of mine said, hey, why don't you give this uh, external recruiting agency a call and maybe they can help you find a job. And they ended up recruiting me to work for them. So I ended up doing that for, for a little while and then eventually left and ended up at Google, Lyft, and now at Uber. Very cool, very mm -hmm. cool. Um, for those uh, of our listeners who are not as familiar with recruiting, can you share a little bit about what your day-to-day -day looks like? Uh, and then also, who are the different people that you're interacting with? Yeah, I would say the day-to-day -day is always different. So if you're the kind of person that likes the, a routine, this is probably not the right career for you. It's never going to be the same. Things are always different. You know, organizations, companies, all of their needs are always fluid and ever-changing. So you have to be able to keep up with those things. Um, I think that's really the most important part of, of the day-to-day -day is that it's always, it changes all the time. Um, and in terms of who I interact with, um, I support the director of global supply chain uh, for Uber's new mobilities division, which includes the bikes and scooters and a couple of other things that we're doing. So I personally have to keep up with what's going on domestically uh, in Europe and in China. So all of that's really important. And yeah, I mean, I might get calls in the middle of the night from China. So, you know, nothing is ever the same. So. 
Very cool. Sure. I would say my role is, um, what I like about the role is that it's always different every day. No day is the same. I, I spend all of my time focused on our portfolio companies. We have 125 active portfolio companies today, and they're spread all over the world, and they're at various stages. We do seed through uh, buyout investing. So uh, some days a conversation is with a CEO who wants to build a remote software engineering team in Phoenix, Arizona, and wants advice about that. And uh, later in that day, I may be talking to another CEO who wants to, you know, fire their CFO and they want to spin up a retained search and they want advice about who to use or how to think about that process. So I would say all day, every day, I'm talking to our CEOs and just trying to be helpful and supportive to them and address anything and everything that they're dealing with and all of the challenges that they inevitably face as their companies scale and grow. So that's what keeps it interesting and it also keeps me on my toes. That's exciting. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. I want to be a recruiter now. <laughs> <laughs> We're hiring. Likewise. <laughs> um, in, in terms of uh, career path and starting out, what would you recommend to someone who's interested in, in recruiting? And if you could share a little bit about the difference between maybe joining a, a recruiting firm to start versus joining an operating company, mm -hmm. um, how to think about that. Sure. I think, well, I started my career in contingency recruiting, which is, you know, different from retained where you're paid as a uh, consultant from the very beginning. And what I liked about starting my career in contingency is that you have to be really scrappy. Um, somebody that I know that worked for a competitive firm, people weren't allowed to have a chair until they had, uh, had gotten a couple candidates interviews that day. So people wouldn't, some days you stood all day, according to my friend that worked there. So it taught you to be really scrappy. You eat what you kill and it's all hustle all day every day it's really hard um, but it taught me a lot and then I realized at that point I wanted to go into the sort of more consultative side and work with senior executives which is why I gravitated towards and went into retain search but I think if you like people and you're interested in technology I mean my whole career has been spent in technical recruiting and in technology um, if you have a hunger and a passion for just tech in general you can uh, do a lot of really interesting things in it because the more you know about any type of technology, I find, the more you know you don't know. So it's a constantly evolving and changing industry. But you get to meet and interact with some of the most brilliant, interesting people in the world, which is what I like and what gets me out of bed every day is getting to meet and interact with all these people that are doing these incredible, amazing things. And you get to know them on a really personal level and um, see them succeed and thrive whenever you have some small role in placing them in a company and helping them with their career. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I started off in contingency as well. And I think, in my opinion, it's, I think, the best place to start because it is that catch and kill type of uh, environment. And it really teaches you how to manage your time, manage your day, uh, teaches you how to manage your clients, you know, how to have good client management skills, things like that. And then, of course, the art of negotiation with candidates, you know, um, I really, what I really gained from that was, uh, from that experience is really understanding and honing in on where is the pain? Where is the pain with the candidate? Where are the pain points with my clients? And so when I'm working with them, that's what I'm always striving for. So it's a little bit of psychology mixed in there as well, is just really understanding that so that I can back into it and support, you know, my candidates or my clients in the ways that they need. Um, in terms of getting into a contingency, that's easy. You just yeah. call up and you get a job. I mean, yep. that's like, it's as easy as it gets. But to get a job at, let's say, Google, for example, um, with no experience, you may be able to get a role as a contractor. That's how most people usually start. That's how I started. It's very normal, very common. And so you start off as a contractor and you, 
you um, just prove to them that you can do it and sometimes they'll convert you, sometimes they won't, but then you can just move to other companies um, outside of that. So um, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So when you're thinking about that, you're in that entry level role mm -hmm. and, and you're at a contingency firm or you're at uh, Google on contract, mm -hmm. what, are the, what are the things that allow you to um, accelerate yourself? You know, what are the ways to improve your skills and become better at actually finding good candidates and closing good candidates? Sure. I think the client management Absolutely, aspect yeah. that you mm -hmm. talked about is really important. You learn a lot about uh, when to work really hard on certain positions and when to back away. For example, sometimes I would be handed a position by an account executive who had a relationship with a client, and then you talk to that uh, hiring manager and find out that search has been going for a year and a half, and they've had 19 different recruiting firms work on it, and you realize, mm -hmm. okay, there's I, will I really be able to find that purple unicorn or or squirrel out there, probably not. So you have to figure out how to manage your time, figure out what to spend your time and energy on because it is so scrappy and competitive um, and you do eat what you kill. Yeah, but I think also to your point with the purple unicorn, that person may not exist and so you right. have to educate your hiring manager. Can you guys define that? I mean, I know yeah. that oh. is, but just for someone else's life, <laughs> sure, what is yeah. a purple unicorn? So it's, it's whenever, you know, when I did retain search and I would go sit down with a CEO of a 12-person company and they would say, and you'd ask them, well, what do you, what kind of background do you want this person to have? And they have this huge list. And then you say, okay, well, where do you think this person is working today? Well, you know, if you could call the CTO of Facebook, I think that's that's who we're looking for. I'm like, well, I, he's not going to come work here. He's only, you know, he's not even going to take the call. So I think when you realize a hiring manager or a team or a client is just completely unrealistic. And that's, that's part of our job is to educate them on the market, on the candidates, on on their company, how their company's coming across. I think the challenge in Silicon Valley is that anyone is being approached by tons of recruiters on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and sometimes these companies don't realize and understand that their company sounds and looks like to an outside candidate who's heavy, who's being um, heavily recruited, it sounds like one of maybe 12 in that zip code that all look and sound the same. But that team thinks, well, we're the best, and we're, we're brilliant, we're working so hard, and we have differentiated disruptive technology. So you have to just try to educate them on what's realistic and what's not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, it, to your point, I mean, it's, I want three people in one. Well, that doesn't exist. So maybe you should just hire two people rather than one person because it's not going to exist. And oftentimes when people don't listen to us because, you know, we're the subject matter experts and the way that we become experts is by doing our job on a day-to-day -day basis. Number one. Number two, we have to keep up with the news and what's actually going on in the marketplace. So we're reading TechCrunch. We're, you know, reading the news. Like we have to understand what's really going on out there. And sometimes you just have to let people fall down a couple of times and then eventually they'll come to you and say, okay, like I've had enough. Fine. The purple unicorn doesn't exist. Who do you recommend? What do you recommend? Because it's our job to actually build the teams. We know what they need. We understand their pain points, but if they're not being realistic. We need to, you know, be the, the voice of reason for them. Right. And you don't want candidates to go in and be the sacrificial lamb. I have had so many clients where they meet with candidate after candidate after candidate, and they think the perfect person out there exists. And I used to have a boss that would say, at some point in the search, the candidates don't get better. They just get different. And I always think of that, and that's a line that I've used myself, because you can interview, 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 and have this sense of FOMO. It's kind of like uh, with you know dating or dating apps. There's just a million people out there. You could keep looking and looking and looking 
looking and shopping for people on Amazon. But uh, at some point you have to decide what's important, what are you looking for, and realize that no one is perfect. Every candidate is, every hire is going to have strengths and weaknesses and areas of development and things that you may wish they did or had a little bit differently, but at some point do you need to make a hire or not? And you have to kind of pull the trigger and execute on that. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's say you're in there, you're doing well. Where can your career go? What is sort of like the the trajectory? Um, as people have been in it for a little while, but maybe you still have things in, in your future that you're looking at. What does it look like? Sure. I mean, for me, it's you know, I could stay doing what I'm doing. It's great. I enjoy it. Or go into management, eventually become a director, or even go into the operations side of things. Uh, personally, I have a technical background, so that, that option is open for me. It may not be open to a lot of people, but you can go into PM work, for example. That's another pathway you can take. So it is pretty flexible. And again, the skill set that you hone when you're a recruiter are transferable skills you know, into like product management or project management, for example. You need to be able to manage a project. And I think that's probably one of the be the the better tangent roles that you could possibly get mm -hmm. into. Or HR. Sometimes you see yeah. people that worked in recruiting and then realized maybe the, the, the hunt part of it that, you know, sort of drives perhaps the two of us is not what they enjoy. They like being more strategic. They like working with management teams and thinking about company culture. So sometimes you see a lot of recruiters that go into HR as a profession and you can go as, you know, higher as far as you want with that. Um, but there's a lot of different aspects um, to it, and you can take it in various ways. Go in-house to a company, um, go to a venture capital firm or private equity fund, um, go to a retained search firm if that's what you want to do. That's a great career. Yeah. Um, I, you mentioned HR and, and some of these other like different areas you can work in. Um, how, do, how do you guys think about things like recruiting versus talent versus HR versus now people? Uh, is like a, a department mm -hmm. of its own. They, there seems to be some fuzziness between those. How do you how do you distinguish? Sure. I, I'll day every day I'm, I'm asked HR questions and by our portfolio companies sometimes often because they don't have an HR person yeah. or perhaps the HR person or people that they have are, are junior and the CEO is at a point where they need you know outside resources or outside help so I'm the first to tell people I've never worked in HR but throughout my my role at Battery Ventures I've had to go chase down all kinds of HR answers and now I have a slew of experts that I can pull in and tap um, for portfolio companies when they need that help but the that role has evolved and now everyone calls it you know VP of people chief people officer which has been interesting and I think um, people are viewing HR as a function now or now what we call people as more um, as strategic they they're not looking for somebody that is more traditional in the sense of just kind of focusing on processes and the person that you know handles things whenever people are getting fired or, or hired um, it can be so much more than that where those people are focused on the culture and they're there are true strategic thought partner to the CEO. Those are the, usually the happiest uh, chief people officers that I know because they're, they have a seat at the executive table and they really have a lot of say in the company and how it's run and what's happening versus being seen as someone behind the scenes who makes sure everyone does their sexual harassment training uh, you know, by the August 1st deadline. Totally. And, you know, the, the types of companies you support are very different than the ones that I've supported. Sure. So 
I've been lucky that I've worked at big companies where HR is its own separate department. So we have HR business partners uh, at Uber currently. So HR is very different from recruiting. And in fact, I think perhaps over time it's evolved because HR used to be part of recruiting. Now recruiting is separate from HR. And now even within recruiting, they're splitting it up. So for example, I handle the back end of the process of, of recruiting, whereas I have a, a business partner, um, which is our sourcing department. The sourcing group is the one that handles inbound applications. They're the ones that are going and hunting and finding those candidates. So I think it just evolves over time. And yeah, I mean, I still get asked HR questions and I have to tell people, I'm, I'm, I am not the HR business partner. Please go find the HRBP and, and go ask them because, and I really don't want to know. Right. So <laughs> let's see. I don't know about if that happens to you too. Oh, all day. I have people, people on, the, on the investment team that are like, well, you're HR, right? I'm, uh, right. You're HR. I'm, no, mm -hmm. I've never worked in HR. I'm not an HR person. Yeah, me neither. I'm, and it's in recruiting is a completely separate function mm -hmm. um, that I think most people just don't understand, which is okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you share some things that you've learned over your careers that are, uh, non-obvious that maybe you wish you knew when you were younger or you wish other people knew about the field? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. I would say, to quote Steve Jobs' Stanford speech, you know, you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect the dots going backwards. And so, you know, knowing that it's all going to be okay in the end, no matter what happens in your career path and whatever you decide and choose, you can always go back and fall back on what you've learned in the past, no matter what it is. So for example, I have a technical background, so I'm an engineer by trade. I ended up falling into finance and that for about 10 years, did private wealth management, and now I'm doing recruiting. And so my technical background and working with high net worth clients really helps me in my current role and makes me really, I think, good at what I do, right? <laughs> I'm sure you're good at it. I'm yeah. all right, we'll yeah, okay, okay, okay. So, um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of psychology involved with what we do mm -hmm. um, from a client perspective, from a candidate perspective, right? Again, and, and making sure that you are always respecting everybody, you know, being polite and being kind to everyone and, and really just coming from a place of empathy and understanding. Um, I think the other thing too is that people who are more introverted, I feel are actually better at recruiting than mm -hmm. when one would think, in my, in my opinion. Um, Can you explain that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have yeah. expected that. The, the reason why I say that is because you really need to understand people and people who are more introspective tend to understand people better than people who are more extroverted. And we all, you know, everybody says, oh, extroverts are so great and, and they're wonderful. Not, not saying that they're not. They tend to be more of the sales person-y types and they're the ones who get energy from, from being around others. Whereas with introverts, they're usually better with people and better at managing their time because they really understand what, what, what's going on behind the scenes. So, and most of the recruiters that I know that are successful are introverts. Very interesting. That is a hot take. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. Um, what, what would you say is something that's not obvious either to someone who's starting out in their career or sure. to someone who's outside the, the department? Sure. I think putting people at ease and developing rapport from the beginning of the conversation is so important because when I first started my career, um, I would, you know, get on the phone with a candidate, you know, software engineer, and I'd be trying to understand how strong of a developer they were in very specific technologies. And I'd kind of, you know, go after them in terms of asking them question after question after question. And I think I, I learned hope pretty quickly that when you set 
people at ease and you just develop some rapport. You just pick something on the resume. Oh, you went to, you know, University of Colorado Boulder. I'm from Denver. How did you like living in Boulder? It just sets people at ease and they will be more open and honest with you because a big part of our role as recruiters is trying to extract the information we're looking for mm -hmm. and get people to uh, open up and tell you things that are non-obvious. And so whenever you build that rapport with them pretty quickly, you're able to establish a very different tone to the conversation. And that's when people open up and tell you things like why they're really open to something new, why they're really looking. It's, well, I, I hate my boss or I, you know, didn't get the salary, uh, you know, increase that I expected back in March and now I'm super pissed off or I don't think my bonus is going to come through. So I think building the relationships and just making people feel at ease and comfortable is something that is not obvious, but I think takes you really far in your conversations with people. Yeah, I think you have to like give before you can get, Yes, you know? So for me, the way that I give is because I'm in the middle of the process of recruiting, obviously I've, I've trained my sourcer and how I want them to have conversations with them. By the time they get to me, it's here's your interview prep. Let's, let's start you from the ground zero so that you have the best, you know, the, the most successful outcome when you get here. I want you to get hired. And so I'm their advocate. So that's how I build trust is by giving them, it's only maybe 20 minutes of my time, right? It's not that much time. But then they come in, they feel warm, they feel at ease, they feel comfortable. And so by the time they're done with their interviews, I'm sitting down with them. How are things going? How is it good? You know, and then by the time we get to the negotiation process for salary, it's usually really smooth. And, and they know by now I'm very transparent, I'm very open and honest. And I just start off the conversation by saying, I hate negotiating. And then of course they laugh and I'm like, no, really, I don't like it. Let me explain why. Right. It's a colossal waste of time because you're gonna spend, we're gonna spend a couple of weeks, you're gonna you're gonna think of a number right. and then we're just gonna go back and forth and back and forth. Why don't you just tell me what your yes number is and let me go fight for you. And then we can just bypass all of this nonsense. And then they go, yeah, actually that makes a lot of sense. So again, that's really what the goal is, is to, to build the teams. And the only way you can do that is building trust at the very beginning. And again, give before you can get. Right. Interviewing is a very vulnerable thing for people. Even the most, I've seen even the most senior uh, accomplished executives who have absolutely incredible backgrounds come out of interviews and you can see on their face, how did I do? You know, did I do okay? Because mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a unnatural environment that people yeah. are kind of artificially thrown into and where everyone's trying to assess and, and pick them apart from at some level. So I think to your point, when you develop that rapport with them and then you take them through the offer process, that's also when they open up and tell you things like what their partner thinks and you know how this will affect you know perhaps their their kids because they're going to be traveling you know 15 to 20 percent more than they were originally and you those that human to human interaction and it's also it's a big deal for people it's very emotional to change jobs even though people think about it usually quite analytically it's still a really big deal in people's lives and you have a part in that so the better rapport and trust you have with them carries you through that conversation, especially when things get hairy when it comes to the negotiation. I've actually turned people away in, in the best sense where they've said, well, I'll, I'll give you an, an, a recent example where I had a candidate whose uh, wife is pregnant and they're from Seattle and they needed to move up there. And um, I said, you know what, hats off. I think you should move to Seattle. I really think that's gonna be better for you and your family. We would love to have you, the offers on the table but it sounds like you, you really should just take that offer, you know? And some people would think, well, you should never do that. You should just fight and tell them to move closer to the, the office. No way. But at the end of the day, what usually ends up happening, and this happened in this case, is you know they, they are very grateful and thankful for the experience. And then they said, hey, call these two other folks that I know in my network. I right. think they'd be great for you. Right. It's really good long-term thinking because mm -hmm. also it, it 
creates your reputation as being someone who's conscientious, but totally. then also uh, I think is good because you're not going to have someone on the team who's maybe uncomfortable with the fact that they're not as close to their family mm -hmm. or they wanted to be in a different city and yep. they're always thinking about that. You just jump over that. So short-term pain, but long-term gain. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about the long game. And also I tell all of my candidates, I want you to start your first day being super happy. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want is for you in the back of your mind to think I could have gotten more money. Right. I could have, you know, I got shortchanged on my equity or I should have gotten more in my sign on bonus or whatever it might be. No, 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 no. You need to, you know, start fresh, be happy, be part of the team because the team wants you to join and and yeah, I mean, if they're not happy, then you know, starting off disgruntled is not <laughs> not a good way to build a team. Usually, doesn't go in a better direction from yeah, there. No, yeah, no, no, not usually. Uh, so, so let's do a quick hypothetical. I am starting a company. I'm a solo founder. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about you know how I want to find a co-founder or a first employee. Maybe I have raised a little bit of money. Um, what kind of tactical tactical advice would you have? I know I need to be. Uh, building rapport and be being honest and thinking mm -hmm. about things very holistically and, and moving at a right pace. What other things should I be thinking about more tactically? I think think I think if I if you were a CEO, I was having that conversation with. I would first ask you, what are your strengths? What do you like to do? What do you hate to do? Are you somebody that just you hate the the finance side and you're really uh, not good at that? So you need to bring someone in who may be really strong at that aspect. Or are you somebody that likes being the external face of the company and you love you know doing podcasts and interviews? Um, or are you somebody that is just happier behind the scenes? So really try to be sort of self aware and honest with what um, what you're suited for and what someone else could counterbalance you with by bringing in somebody who has those ideally specific skills. And then I would say it's probably going to be tough because the market is incredibly hot and competitive right now. And anybody super strong that you'd be excited about is probably being courted by a number of other companies. Mm -hmm. my, my philosophy is if you can't fire them, don't hire them. Meaning don't if you can't hire a friend and fire them or family, don't do it. It's going to cause bad relations between you and that other person. And again, this is business. So um, if you can make it work with a friend um, or just somebody who's close close to you that you know, okay, if I if I bring this person in, I know this will, this will work out really well. That would be great. I think it also depends on what kind of company you're you're starting off at, right? If you if you have a product that you just need to sell, experienced salesperson, give them a high. Um, percentage if they if they sell the product like give them 70 percent or, or what have you right i pick a tenured salesperson if you're starting off and you need software to be developed i highly recommend finding a software developer that's local to you so you can see what's going on right i, I don't recommend finding someone remote um as a software engineer that that's my recommendation because I've, I've had some friends who've who've uh, used people who are far away and it just did not turn out well for them um, that's, I think in that case, it's okay to hire somebody who's a little bit more on the junior side, who has time on their side because you, you know, they, they'll put in the sweat equity, mm -hmm. right? That's what you need as a, as a, as a new founder. If you can't find someone who's going to put in that sweat equity, cause you're not going to be able to pay them that much, give them a lot of equity. Uh, and just, you know, if they're passionate about, uh, what it is that you're doing, I think that's, that's who I would pick to, uh, to start it off with. What should I be thinking about? Let's say I've, I've found a co-founder, maybe made some early hires myself. And mm -hmm. now I'm thinking... A, I don't like recruiting, and just that's not fun for me. Mm -hmm. And B, I have to start thinking about all these other things. At what point should I think about hiring a firm or bringing someone in house? How should I think through which of those to do? What's the calculus? Sure. 
I think um, it, it's never too early to bring in an inside recruiter and an in-house recruiter, but then you have to think about what do you want this person to be doing in terms of the hiring? Are you looking for someone to come in and build an engineering team? Because that's a very different recruiter than somebody that could um, play more of a role of doing more sort of more of operational business roles that are more broad in general. So, and then use outside recruiters when you need to. There's so, so many fantastic recruiters out there that will work with you I mean, that's part of my role is to recommend folks like that to early stage companies. And I think um, it, they're worth the money when you get some really good hires and you're you're happy with the results and it frees you up to go focus and do other things. Yeah, I would I echo the same thing. I mean, I think um, retain search or, or contingency um, firms are really great because, again, it's catch and kill. If they don't make the hire, they don't get paid. And so I think they're more incentivized to actually um, get you somebody that's going to hit the ground running and stay. So the way that the contracts work is that, you know, they get their fee, but they only get to keep the fee if that person stays for a certain amount of time. So these, these things are, are really important. Uh, and like you said, you know, if you're going to bring someone in house, do the math, see if it makes sense. You know, um, I think hiring an outside agency at first is fine. Um, but also if you hire, uh, somebody to come in house, make sure they're really good at what they do and, and really have a broad spectrum of, of, you know, abilities in terms of, you know, they can hire engineers, they can hire uh, the office manager, you know, like mm -hmm. those things are really important. So if you're going to find that one person, they really need to be able to, to be able to hire the whole office, the whole team. Right. And they'll be able to tell your story better than someone on the outside will. And, and they should be more passionate about it and, and more incentivized too, because hopefully you're paying them with some equity as well. And they get to be part of building something. And some people love that. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, uh, interesting point that leads me to a question, which is uh, a, a lot of stuff that I've seen and, and believe is that people are looking for more than just um, the right comp package, right? And so there's, there's a couple different ways you can position a company or, or uh, a position to someone. Um, what are the different things that you've seen that are, that are relevant and um, what has changed over time, if anything, since when you started in this field to where we are today in terms of what people are excited about? whether it's, you know, comp or responsibility or the team, like the people they're working with and benefits or the mission of the company, things like that. Sure. I would say free food is not as exciting as it used yes. to be. <laughs> that seems true, yeah. Yes. yeah. Now yeah. you need to have, you know, access to a spa. I'm just yeah. kidding. But the gym, the gym. Yeah, the gym. We don't have a gym. And so people are like, oh, that's the negative is that you don't have a gym. You're like, hey, there are more important things than just a gym. We'll give you a discount on the gym. Right. That's fine. There's a lot of gyms out there, too. Right. Go right? work out right? before work or yeah. after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've got showers in case you want to, you know, ride into work or go work sure. out beforehand. It's, it's fine. Yeah. I think it's just gotten so much more competitive to hire. And I think, um, you know, equity is important, but some people are just not in a place in their life where they can take uh, a lot of their compensation in equity. And some people are, and that's fantastic. But it, listen, in Silicon Valley, it's just incredibly expensive to live here, as we all know. So cash is still king. And I think sometimes I see founders and I see CEOs be unrealistic about what they expect to be able to pay people. Part of what I do is provide them with competitive comp data so they can look at the data. And it's not just me telling them, but I think 
this person or executive will cost. It's what, here's what uh, 3,000 companies that we've surveyed have suggested uh, the compensation ranges. But you have to be super creative and, and do things like cater to that individual and think about it on a case-by-case basis. If that candidate really wants to work from home two days a week because they have a dog and you can't allow dogs in the office and they want to be able to walk their dog or go pick up their you know child from from you know school uh, after after school then try to customize things according to each individual and I see companies having to do that at the senior executive level as they should and and do things that are creative and mm-hmm. make that candidate feel heard so that the things that they talk about that are important to them whether it's culture whether it's commute whether it's compensation throughout the process are are heard and validated through what you show them when it comes to the offer itself yeah totally I mean 90% of startups fail right so you know when I talk to candidates because I have a different perspective because I work for I've worked for public companies it's hey look I mean if you're comfortable with that equity just disappearing great go work for them you know best of luck but you know when you know as a candidate you really need to look at that whole package and look at the upside potential and the downside risk so it's not just about oh you know let's let's just have our head in the clouds let's be realistic and think okay well if i'm younger and i and i get all this equity that's great because if it does well oh my gosh we could i could do really really well but if you're more mature if you've worked for a while you know that's when you have to make more tactical choices based on your own personal needs it's you know it's not just about you sometimes sometimes it's about a partner or children or fur babies or whatever it might be so um, you really have to decide on on what's right for you and i feel like more workplaces are more flexible nowadays mm-hmm. you know um i'm flexible i can work from home sometimes i can work from other offices sometimes it's great and i love it oh by the way that's the other advantage of recruiting you don't always have to sit at your desk right so and you're not actually at your desk most of the time anyway because you're always just floating around and talking to clients all the time so part's kind of cool um so yeah i think it just kind of depends on the individual person very cool uh before we wrap up uh one question for you guys more around like tools and and uh, what you use on a day-to-day basis if you can share any companies or software that you've used lately that really impressed you um, whether it's for sourcing or for screening and assessing candidates or even like an ats um, that'd be great Sure. I use Thrive, which is a talent relationship management uh, database. And before I started my role at Battery, I went and sat down with at least uh, 15 other talent partners at other venture capital firms and asked them uh, tons of questions about their role and how they are successful, what they do, but also what they use. And that was uh, a resounding uh, answer was you have to get Thrive, use Thrive. And so it's customized and it's made for recruiting. Um, and I love it because basically every single solitary candidate I interact with in any way, shape or form, that information and that data is captured into Thrive. Um, and you can customize it according to your own specific needs, which I find helpful. Yeah. I mean, I use a lot of proprietary software because again, of the companies that I've worked for. So can't really disclose those <laughs> what they are, but I love Zoom. Zoom is the best tool. I just jump on Zoom all the time and talk to candidates, talk to my colleagues. Um, I really can't do my job without it. And I also believe in the face-to-face more so than um, email or text message. And all of that's great communication. But again, part of our job with talking and working with people is I need to hear their tone of voice. I need to see if they're smiling or not. I really need to see the body language and really understand are we on the same page? Are we not? Am I missing something? And I don't get those nuances unless I actually speak to the person face-to-face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Zoom is about as good as it gets right now in terms yeah, of the, just about, the yeah. second best thing. Pretty awesome, actually. Uh, we'll have to hit them up, see if we can get a sponsorship after that. <laughs> mm-hmm. after yeah. That, <laughs> very lovely words. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
All right. Well, that brings us to the end. Kelly mm-hmm. and Farah, thank you so much for sharing your mm-hmm. insights. And I hope everyone listening had a great time learning about recruiting. Thank you thank for you. having us. Thank you for All having right. me.